Hey, 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 are you ready to be courageous today? You are made to be courageous. Welcome all you Courageous Cause Champions. I'm Lainey Friedrich, and this is episode 16 of the Couch to 5A podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this station for upcoming episodes. In my last podcast, I had a very, very special guest, Phil Hogan, and I hope that you had a chance to listen to my uh, interview with him and the story of how Phil and I crossed paths several years ago under really uh, interesting, miraculous circumstances. Today, I thought I would share my side of the story of that fateful day. The backstory from my um, life at that point, that was September of 2013, And by September 2013, I had been seriously cycling for about two and a half years at that point. I started in early 2011, and I was was definitely cycling 100 miles a week or more. I had done, you know, many, many group rides. I had been a ride leader, and when I volunteered for the Tour de Ford, I signed up for the 35-mile ride to be um, a ride guide. And because we were doing, oh, 50-mile rides at least once a week with the people I was riding with, and most of our rides were at least 25 miles, so uh, 37, um, something like that. So this was 35 miles was going to be no problem for me. It was a flat course, and, and again, I was very fit at that time and knew how to um, maneuver within large bike groups. Now, for those of you that haven't done big biking events like this, I just want you to picture the scene. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people. um, And we we definitely had that many for the 35 mile uh, part of this ride. So what happens is the ride starts together and the volunteers that they have, we we usually have a few people at the front of what we call the pack, which is this big group of people all together. So you have a few people at the front and then a few people in the middle of the pack and then you have a few people that are called sweepers that stay at the end to make sure that they stay with the people whoever ends up being the slowest people in the group and i love being a sweeper i'm like a little mother hen when i'm on group bike rides i like to make sure that everybody is safe and everyone is taken care of and gets you know to the end safely so i was part of the group of several of us that were the sweepers. And what happens with these large rides is uh, over a 35-mile course, which was an out and a back, so it would have been probably 17 and a half miles or so to get to the from Henry Ford, Detroit, to um, the Henry Ford um, downriver. Um, the, the pace starts to spread out. People are going at different speeds. Um, sometimes uh, the group gets stopped because, you know, a red light will come up and, you know, the, the riders um, in the middle of the group will stop because they couldn't get through the light and they have to wait for the next light. So that breaks up the group. So the group ends up being, starts off at one big, huge group, and then it starts breaking up into smaller and smaller groups as people start to pace together um, and again, you know, get, get broken up with, uh, different intersections. 
so the at the very end of this very large group they had a uh, an ambulance that was there and what's called a sag truck or a sag car which is sag and i always forget what it stands for but uh it's a support vehicle that has equipment in case anybody has a flat tire that needs to get fixed or something breaks on their bike they have tools and someone who's um qualified to help fix things and in fact i was in a biking club at that time and fraser bike store in fraser michigan had a biking club and i was in their club and they were doing um the sag one of the SAG cars in the ride too. So I knew a a number of people that were supporting this ride, volunteering in the ride. Um, So this was a, I wanted to make that point because when I volunteered for this ride going into the day of the event, uh, I was very much uh, volunteering from my overflow. I was in a position of um, leadership so I had gone through all the levels in biking. I had started with self-care level 101, where I started to get into biking a few years before, you know, bought a, a good road bike. Then I got into level 201, where I connected with like-minded people by uh, joining the Fraser Bike Club and riding with uh, various bike groups, the Wolverine Bike Club, some of their organized rides. And then I grew in level 301, grew with people I knew by inviting friends to do rides with me and starting to do rides. Actually, I invited some people to volunteer at this event as well with me. Um, And then level 401, which is multiply with your leadership, that's when I stepped up to the plate to be a, a volunteer at this ride and as a sweeper and as an experienced rider that could definitely do the 35 miles without any you know physical limitation on doing that so that's that is a starting point that i wanted you to have that visual that that day you know this was something that um, was very easy for me to participate in and give my full attention to the riders on the course and their safety and another thing that I want you to understand about me going into this event is that my mantra at that time was, what can I give? How can I help? What can I give? How can I help? And that's how I approached life at that point. Now my I've changed that a little bit and it's more like, what can I share? How can I help? Because I think when we say, what can I give? Sometimes we end up giving um, too much and giving to depletion. And now my mantra is what can I share from my excess, from my abundance, and how can I help? But always, how can I help? So going into this ride, I wanted to make sure that I was you know, helpful to the people along the way, giving tips where I could, giving encouragement where I could, and just, again, keeping people safe. So into the ride... I ended up staying with a group of people. One of the women actually had um, needed a repair. Something happened with her bike. And we were probably 10 miles into the ride. And she decided that she had had enough. (laughs) Something also that happens on these um, big ride events is that people sign up for distances that they are in no way prepared to do. People think that if they've done you know, riding around their subdivision that they can do a 
35 mile bike ride. Oh, I've done, you know, a 10 mile bike ride. It's not that much different. Oh, yes, it is dramatically different for every part of your body, your butt on that saddle for that much longer, how you hydrate, how you take in nutrition during the ride, just, you know, your neck and your shoulders and your whole body and and your endurance, really your physical endurance, and depending on how comfortable your bike is too. So it's not uncommon when we have distances beyond maybe even a 10-mile ride that people are totally unprepared for what they're about to undertake. And that's when the SAG cars and SAG um, vans come into play. So this woman was riding with her friend and the the woman had um, mechanical problems on her bike and decided that she was not going to continue on in the ride. So I started riding alongside with her friend who um, was, you know, one of the last people. And, and her friend was a, a little bit stronger rider than she had been. So so she started riding faster. I would guess maybe we got up to, you know, 12, 13, 14 miles an hour. Because at that time, I was riding, when I would ride strong for long rides, I was doing about 17 miles an hour. So that's a pretty good clip for someone who is riding on a really regular basis. I mean, I know there are guys and and ladies who are racers that do 25 miles an hour but for the most part for people that are in groups in this area the group rides that I did um, and maintaining you know riding four days a week or something you know you should be averaging 17-18 miles an hour. So this woman uh, started, you know, going faster than the very last people. So we were pulling ahead over the course of, you know, a few miles. We were ahead of the ambulance that was with the the very, very last people in um, the event for the 35-mile distance group of people. So when I came upon Phil... I uh, from last episode's podcast, uh, I was riding along with this this woman, and when we caught up to Phil, we all stayed together for uh, a short while, and then she started to ride ahead of us, and that's when I started to take note that you know Phil was on a nice bike. He looked to be physically fit. Um, he was riding steady, so I could tell that he was an experienced rider because if someone's not an experienced rider, they kind of wobble with their handlebars and they are not always at a very steady pace. And he had both of those um, characteristics, but he was, I think we were doing, I, I know he mentioned it when we talked um, but it was probably, you know, somewhere between 12 and 15 miles an hour. It was, a, it was a pretty slow pace for what I thought that someone just looking at him um, should have been doing. And that's when I started talking to him and said, you know, asking him how he was feeling. And, and that's when he said, you know, he was having had, had some chest pains and some tightness in his chest. <laughs> and I just want to point out for all of you that were listening to him on that podcast is... He was so stubborn. He was unbelievably stubborn. Uh, he made light of it, but I'm going to get into the, I'm going to tell you the real story. <laughs> 
So I, you know, I immediately said, hey, um, why don't we wait? There's an ambulance that's, you know, behind us here as part of this ride. Why don't we just stop and, you know, you can talk to them. And another bit of back information I wanted to let you know coming into this is that in 2013, I had been doing collection work in my banking career for the last five years. At that point, I had uh, gone from being a lender to being a loan collection officer in 2008. So from 2008 until this point in 2013, I was used to working with people that did not want to cooperate, <laughs> which um, helped me understand uh, you know, how to, how to maneuver that day, <laughs> for which I am very grateful. And I think it's why I was you know, divinely tapped on the shoulder to, to be the one to <laughs> maneuver him where he needed to go that day. So anyway, I started, I realized that he was not going to uh, cooperate willingly and, and listen to any kind of reason. Um, and I, you know, we just, we were riding along and I was saying, you know, you know, sometimes people have high cholesterol. Oh, no, no, no. I just had my cholesterol checked in April and it was normal. So I thought, okay, that didn't work. <laughs> What's my next option to think about to try and convince him? And I said, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, they used to say that where it feels like an elephant sitting on your chest. You know, they say now that, you know, some of the signs are more subtle. It doesn't have to be like your whole side or your body goes numb or, you know, there, there's sometimes more subtle things. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm just under the weather. And and then he told me that he had been feeling under the weather and had had these pains earlier in the week when he had been playing racquetball. So I knew. I didn't know. Uh, of course, I didn't know that he was having a heart attack, but I knew that his body had already given him the um, advance warnings and that this was no longer a warning sign. He'd already been warned that something was amiss. I didn't know what it was and he didn't know what it was. So we keep you know, talking and biking and biking and talking. And I thought it is good that the halfway point is a hospital. So we might as well get there because um, what else are you going to do? You can't force somebody, uh, a grown adult to do something that they don't want to do. So we're riding along, riding along. I'm trying to think of other, um, you know, reasons for uh, other infomercials about <laughs> signs of heart attack. And I pulled out a few more and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And you know, and he said that his wife was going to be picking him up, you know, when when um, we met, we when we got to the halfway point. So I thought, okay, well, let me just cross each bridge as we get to it and, and let me get to the, we'll get to the halfway point and at the hospital and we'll see what happens there. So we pull into the back parking lot where they had staged the snacks and the porta potties and um, anything else that people needed. Um, for the ride uh, halfway point. And I, I just watched him and I mentioned to one of the guys from Fraser Bike who was there, I said, you know, I was riding with this guy and I think he's having some heart trouble. So I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on him and uh, try to convince him to go over here to the hospital. And one of the other things that I noticed is that Phil was not doing the things that people normally do after they just finished a 17-mile bike ride. They usually go right for the Porter Johns, and they go right to grab something to eat, fill up their water bottle, whatever. And he he was just, 
you know, moving kind of, he, he had this distracted look about his face and was kind of standing around. Uh, and I, I just, I suspected that his body was in some type of really crisis situation. And I knew the signs because years earlier, I had been a nursing assistant over at uh, Royal Oak Beaumont Hospital. And you, after you've seen it a few times, you start to recognize that look that people's faces get when in, their body is, is having a physical crisis. They get this really internal focused look on their face where, you know, things peripherally are starting to shut down. The body is not paying attention to anything really on the outside because it is so focused on survival on the inside. And the other thing I knew from that hospital experience is that when there is a medical emergency happening in the body, the brain is not getting the oxygen it needs, that the body is not pumping enough blood to the brain. So it, again, it's just not, people aren't thinking clearly. So I went back over to him and asked him how he was doing. He said, not so good. You know, his wife was going to come and pick him up still. And I said, well, why don't we just go over and sit and wait for her in the hospital? It'll be easier for her to know where you're going to be at if we're just in the lobby there, more comfortable. So he agreed, and like he said, we rode our bikes to the entrance to the hospital and pulled our bikes in uh, inside the uh, inside the door. And he went and sat down at some seats that were along a wall, and there was a receptionist area in kind of the middle of the lobby. And... I told him I was going to walk over there for a second, and I walked over to the woman who was uh, working there, and I, I kind of leaned over, and I whispered to her. I said, I'm volunteering with this ride. Uh, this guy, I think he's having a heart attack, but I'm trying to convince him to go to ER, so I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Can you just keep an eye on him while I go do that? And she's like, yes. So I went into the bathroom, and I just I was at a loss as to how to convince uh, Phil. So I, I prayed. I just prayed to the source that's out there and said, you know, I, I need some, I need some help here. I don't know how to do this. I know that I am not going to let this man get into a car with his wife and die on the road somewhere because he waited here and didn't want to get seen here in the hospital. I'm not going to let that happen. So an insight popped into my head and I walked out and told him what he shared and when he told the story that sometimes the I said what what's the worst thing that can happen if you go and get looked at and they tell you it's okay you're going to be sitting here anyway so why not go get looked at you're having you know some legitimate concerns that you know would justify you going and having them take a look and I said, the downside, if you don't get checked, and it is something, is that parts of your heart could be dying. And like he mentioned, that finally triggered in his head that he needed to get seen. Like I said, he was very stubborn. <laughs> so we walked down to the ER, the area, and uh, exchanged phone numbers because I, I wanted to find out, you know, now I was curious now that I knew he was going to be in good hands. I was curious to know what the, uh, outcome ended up being. 
And so we parted ways. He went in. I went back to the ride because my day was not done yet. My my role had not yet been finished. So I went back to the parking lot, and they were they were cleaning everything out by that point. And um, the last of the riders were already on the road. So I m- rode really fast to catch up with the tail end of the ride, and start you know rode with the other volunteer that was with them. And, you know, we had 17 miles to go back, and the group that we were with, we we stuck with them for as long as we could, but they were really, really struggling. They were not at all prepared for this distance, and it finally got to the point where they were going so slow, and they were stopping at McDonald's and, you know, just stopping to rest, and and finally I just told them, I said, you know, the ride, it's in the agreement when you signed up for the ride that, you know, the ride is supported for so many hours from start to finish, and then once that time frame has ended, we don't support any riders that are still on the course. So I had them take their numbers, their ride numbers off, so that it was clear that they were not no longer covered by the liability of the course and um, ride. And and then the other volunteer and I made our way back to, but I mean, we were probably like 10 miles back into it. I'm sure we were more than more than halfway by that point. And they knew their, the other riders knew their way back. So they were on their own there. And there was a group of them. They were, I don't know, four or six of them, something like that. So they were in, in good hands together. We would never have left some if it was just one or two people. So the other volunteer and I get back and everything's being cleaned up and I think I I think I was able to get a bagel or something <laughs> at the end for my hard work. <laughs> and uh that was it for for the day. And then fast forward a couple of days later, my manager comes into my office and hands me this letter which was on Henry Ford West Bloomfield Hospital letterhead and it was addressed to him um, and it says my name is Ron I'll leave his last name off and I'm the captain for the Henry Ford West Bloomfield Police Authority I'm writing this letter as a committee chair for our annual tour de Ford bicycle tour fundraiser for um, this patient needs fund on Sunday September 15th we had our fourth annual tour de Ford my responsibility for the 2013 2004 2013 tour de Ford was to recruit and organize our ride bike marshals, the bike marshals, all volunteers, monitor and assist riders in the various routes, and assist with minor mechanical repairs or call for van pickup if the cyclist if necessary. More importantly, bike marshals monitor the cyclists and emphasize a safe and secure riding environment. The purpose of my letter is to commend a Comerica employee that, in my opinion, saved a life. The employee's name is Miss Elaine uh, Laney Friedrich. At this year's Tour de Ford, Laney was one of several bike marshals riding with the 35-mile route cyclists. She was one of the marshals referred to as sweepers. The primary role of the sweeper is to ride with those cyclists that typically ride slower times and are riding behind the primary group. On Sunday during the bike ride, Laney noticed that one of the cyclists seemed to be struggling. She rode next to him and began conversing with him. Although she noticed that he appeared to be physically fit, he did look stressed as he rode. She asked him if everything was okay, to which he replied, I'm having some chest pains, and then mentioned that he had had similar chest discomfort two days earlier. By a fortunate coincidence, the rest stop for the cyclists was at our Henry Ford Wyandotte Hospital location. They were only a couple of miles from that location. Although the cyclist initially refused to go to the Wyandotte Henry Ford emergency room, Laney, recognizing the symptoms of a possible heart attack, convinced the cyclist to be examined by a physician. 
After an EKG, it was determined that the cyclist had a 99% arterial blockage and was, in fact, having a heart attack. He was immediately treated and had a stent procedure to open the artery. This type of blockage often causes the type of heart attack known as the widowmaker because of its sudden and tragic stoppage of blood flow to the heart. I have not met Lainey in person. We've communicated via email and by telephone. I telephoned her to thank her for following her instincts and getting this patient into our ER. I truly believe that she saved his life. From my conversations with Lainey, she stated that the cyclist also telephoned her to thank her for her gentle persuasion to convince him to see the ER doctor. On behalf of the Tour de Ford Committee, I want to thank Lainey for volunteering for the bike marshal role and her life-saving efforts for one of our cyclists. And that was really awesome. I mean, I have the letter. The letter is uh, going to be put in one of my scrapbooks uh, because I had I had contacted this man. Probably, I think I emailed him and left him a voicemail uh, right after the ride just to let him know that this happened in case there was any question of liabilities or anything like that. I just I didn't didn't want um, him to hear the story without it coming from me directly. And so he knew he knew someone at the head of security at Comerica Bank and got a hold of my contact information uh, and figured out, you know, who my manager was to write the letter to. And then my manager told his manager, who was the chief credit officer, who also called me up and gave me a commendation for my efforts. And then unbeknownst to me, they uh, funneled it up to the uh, our president and CEO, Ralph Babb, and he uh, called me as well and uh, with his congratulations on my role. And then when Ralph Babb came into Detroit from the headquarters in Texas, he came into Detroit for, there was a, probably other things he had going on, but there was a dinner that he was going to be speaking at for the women that were officers at the bank, and I was a bank vice president at that time. And with uh, no no forewarning, he shows up in my office in the afternoon. I look at my office uh, door, and there he is standing there and wanted to shake my hand in person and congratulate me and, you know, pat me on the back, so to speak. And he, he also uh, asked if I was going to be going to this dinner that night. And even though I hadn't been planning on it originally, I, of course, said I would be there. Yes, of course, I would be there. And he was so kind. At the end of his presentation, he asked me to stand up, and he told a brief story, and I got applause, applause in front of a couple hundred women at Comerica. And it was nice. No, Some of my friends came over afterwards and said, you know, we're not surprised to hear that you did something like that because they know I'm always looking out for the underdog and trying to make sure everybody's taken care of. And the same thing with the Fraser Bike Club guys when they found out what happened. When I told them what happened, they said, oh, we're not surprised that you did that, that it was you. <laughs> That's what I get for, you know, being the mother hen. It was wonderful. And I, uh, the point that I really want you to come away with is that miraculous things really can happen when you, when you volunteer for a cause. And this cause for me was cycling at that time. When you are volunteering and giving of yourself from your overflow, when you're going into something with confidence and competency and experience, 
it it really makes a world of difference. You know, if if I had been a volunteer who was um, physically, you know, struggling in my role as keeping up with the riders uh, as a sweeper, and if I didn't have the confidence of of knowing, you know, what or the experience, I should say, of knowing what uh, a normal ride experience should look like, normal behaviors on a ride, I would not have known enough to get him the help that he needed that day. So I, a part of it, I think, is just you know divine intervention, if you want to believe in that, and, and part of it is, is being uh, in a place where you are confident and competent when you volunteer and being being at the operating uh, at the, the appropriate level so that you are contributing from your abundance and not from a position of depletion or deprivation, you know, uh, of lack. That's, that's what I wanted to share with you today. I hope, I hope if any of you ever get a chance to be uh, someone's guardian angel in this lifetime, it's, the words can't even describe how special that was and uh, the memory continues to be. So I hope that at least once, if not more, you get a chance to, to be someone's guardian angel. I hope you enjoyed the rest of the story. Namaste.